0: MCU.html reassembled is brought to you by the Cage Club Network for all things movies, media, TV, comics, music, and more. Check out the Cage Club Network at cageclub.me. That's (music) cageclub.me. Hey, everybody. I'm Nico. And I'm Kevo. And this is MCU.HTML, the show where we take a look at Marvel cinematic movies and poke them. Poke them real hard. We poke them real hard and real tough with a giant Thanos Hulk-sized finger. Because we love them. And because you poke the things you love. I'm poking Kevo right now. He really
1: is. And you can stop. Okay, thank
0: you. So, I think one of the things that has me the most eager to keep discussing (laughs) Endgame is that the movie was so polarizing because so few of us knew what we were getting when we went into it. And then, once we got into it, there was time travel, man. There wasn't just a little time travel. There was like a ton of time travel. And the closest the MCU had come to time travel travel prior to this was dr strange i guess you know you could make the argument that cap america traveled through time but it's not really quite the argument
1: i'm making yeah he mostly just moved linearly he just stopped for a while
0: i think the point is more he didn't move and time did but so this movie bringing in time travel and tony stark solving time travel comically quickly is just
1: absurd (sighs) It really is, and I I don't want to be pedantic. It's ultimately, it's fine, because like, he is a super genius and stuff, and maybe he's already thought about it. They sort of allow for him having some idea of what he's talking about from the initial scene between him and scott and saying all the things about quantum singularity blah 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 i don't know i'm not a genius like tony stark but like he seems at least to be familiar with the concept so it's not the worst thing in this movie but it is very very fast I am, however, comforted by the fact that, okay,
0: so we've made fun of the fact that no one's actually sure what Bruce Banner is good at other than being bad at being the Hulk. Because at the end of the day, they've changed his scientific field like 16,000 times, and I'm very confused by it. But now he seems to be okay at time travel, but not great at time travel. And I guess that makes the Tony Stark being so good at time travel when no one's ever time traveled before much less frustrating
1: yeah yeah it does and it allows for a really fun comedic beat to help break the story up a little bit in the scene with bruce nat steve and scott attempting to use the van to time travel and we get the little baby scott and the old man scott and whichever one of them peed doesn't matter because that suit was still soiled yeah
0: yeah it was one of the things that i thought was remarkable about The time travel sequence was, it was almost as if they were going out of their way to say, look, time travel is going to be a little weird in this movie. We're introducing the idea of time travel to this franchise. You just need to bear with us for a little bit. There was a lot of kind of tongue in cheek humor about the nature of time travel in this film. And I think it's from the get. It's from the moment we see Ant-Man begin his singularity time travel journey.
1: And it's such a huge thing to introduce and set definite rules on because it works differently in any different multiverse or franchise exactly how time travel can be possible. There's still people debating the feasibility of everything that happens in this movie.
0: And if nothing else, they move quickly through the ridiculousness of bruce not being so great at time travel and they smartly follow it up with tony joining the team and i really think it's baffling to me because i think that might be the first kind exchange not that the exchange at the cabin wasn't at least civil but that was the first kind exchange between tony and steve in like 10 or 12 movies so it was nice but that was really the first time we saw them connect Since, I don't know, Age of Ultron?
1: Yeah, they had some good moments in Civil War, but I'll totally back that up. It's certainly been a very long time. It's a really amazing reintroduction of Tony Stark back to the Avengers. I love that he just silently pulls up and it takes like literally I counted 40 seconds from when Steve sees his car to him pulling all the way up the driveway and he just stares at Steve. For someone who normally loves to come in with music blasting and guns blazing, it's so quiet and resigned knowing what's still to come.
0: Yet I think making a 45 second entrance where you are this decided focus regardless of the amount of sound or noise you're making it's still a pretty dramatic way to kick yourself back into a team i get that yeah i agree and it's really interesting that Tony coming back happens where it does because I kind of feel like that's the point that this movie kicks up. If this had been like an early aughts or mid aughts Disney franchise as opposed to a Marvel Disney franchise now, I feel like it would have had a very Pirates of the Caribbean 2 kind of, oh, that's when Rhodey and Rocket and everybody shows up and then they go back and they find Thor and Hawkeye and so much happens.
1: Yeah, it's really here that the endgame truly begins and the active Avengers start filing in one by one. It's another one of those things where it would have been cool to see the call, I guess. But, you know, I enjoyed watching Scott's reaction to everybody landing and scaring the bejesus. Out of him and Bruce getting to have that adorable taco moment with him.
0: Yeah, you know, Ant-Man's humanity is such a defining part of this film. Hulk's humanity is a defining part of this film. Iron Man's humanity. In so many ways, for a franchise about superheroes, this film is defined by humanity.
1: And there's even humanity in the characters that are around him with the way that roadie teases scott by calling him regular size man and nebula calling up to roadie to warn him that there's an idiot sitting in the landing area and it's one of the things that i am scared of losing from nebula the development that she got in this movie and how she became this ally and she she's been working as an avenger it seems for the last five years i don't want to lose that from the character
0: No, I think they really managed to hit something well by sending Thor away and Iron Man away in the period of time the cap was missing. You couldn't really get a new Avengers with the number of Avengers that there were without giving them all a little bit of a break. And I appreciate skipping their breaks. I do find it a little crazy though that Thor's reintroduction is such a short sequence.
1: Yeah, it's like only about five minutes, and frankly, he's not in the entire thing. Even we get like a minute and a half of the journey to New Asgard and the reintroduction of Valkyrie, who, that was a fucking thrill to see her again. No warning, no explanation, because you know what? There wasn't really one completely needed. We understand that Asgardians are more powerful than regular humans and you know i kind of thought it was weird that all of the asgardians it seemed were killed by thanos and his crew that doesn't really make sense That's not really his motif So it would make sense that there should be some Asgardian survivors. And it's really cool to see the concept of new Asgard here introduced in the Infinity Saga.
0: I also think it's ridiculous that there were absolutely no Asgardians on ships out anywhere, settling, sailing, anything? Are you telling me that every Asgardian was in Asgard and then got in this ship? No. I also liked how many heroes they were able to pack in for how short this scene was. I feel like we got some reasonable development from Thor, Korg, there's an appearance from Meek, we got that amazing Valkyrie scene, we even had some good stuff from Hulk and Rocket here. It was a really well-thought sequence that packed in a lot.
1: But now let's talk about this controversial portrayal of
0: Thor. I'm a pretty big fan of it. I don't think... Thor's worthiness comes from his six-pack, and the idea that they show him being very specifically worthy while emotionally out of touch with himself and maintaining a very different body shape was a good way to refute the idea that in order to be Thor, he had to have a six-pack. I think we were looking at a very dangerous slope with these Marvel movies where it felt like more and more you were either uber fit or it didn't work, even if your character didn't need to be fit to use their powers.
1: I get that. I do. I didn't like that he was being called Fat Thor. There were a lot of jokes about it in the movie, which is disappointing, but I've said before and I'll say again, the men who made this movie are not themselves necessarily an ideal body shape, so I don't think that they are making jokes at the expense of anyone who looks that different from them and that's something that needs to be considered here and I really appreciated that Chris Hemsworth never really in his portrayal of Thor even reacted to or responded to anyone's negative comments about his body weight. He was not exactly ashamed to be in this shape. He was ashamed of himself on the inside and the things that he was trying to recover from in terms of his PTSD but that wasn't about the shape he was And I'm so glad that Chris Hemsworth fought for Thor to stay in that shape for the final battle because he almost magically got back in Chris Hemsworth shape. And he was like, why? Why does that matter? And it didn't. Ultimately, you can barely see any of his body in that armor anyway. So why would you go out of your way to do that?
0: And once Thor rejoins the Avengers, then we get the eye-rollingest eye-roll moment in kind of the whole film for me. I don't care about Hawkeye. I don't care about his journey. I really don't care about this whole Japanese Yakuza scene. It's very frustrating and...
1: Yeah, I even wrote down in my notes, you know, I... This... The whole Ronin story is not for me. I really hope that some people do appreciate it and get a lot out of it, but I don't. It reminds me a lot of the Mystique story from Dark Phoenix and how we had said, you know exactly what's going to happen based on the trailers. It's it's the same here. There is no surprise, no twist, nothing about Ronin. It's exactly the story that I thought we were going to get from Age of Ultron. It's exactly the story I thought we were going to get from the trailers for this movie. And, you know, it's it's just boring. I'm sorry.
0: You know, there's too many whole genres of film that are based on well-executed revenge for a sloppy revenge narrative to be put in the highest grossing film of all time.
1: Thankfully, it doesn't get too much screen time, and then everybody starts showing up at the Avengers compound. We get exposition about pim Particles, and we get Clint's little test trial. One of the plot holes that I read recently that actually I do kind of have to give it up to is there is... Specifically a moment with Scott spotlighting that they only have so many pin particles to be able to go into the quantum realm, and he even blows one of their shots by accident, which is played up for laughs. But then how is he able to do all of his shrinking and all of that stuff throughout the mission oh no at the end of the movie oh no maybe like he really does only have so much so like you know maybe there's only so much like built into his suit i don't know yeah you know what suit reserves i'll give you suit reserves it's it's one of those things, you know, in in and this is going to be such a small tangent, but in the back matter for all of the recent Star Wars movies, there has been a ton of explanations about how there's like there was apparently this intergalactic cold war. I don't even know, but it's not really anything that's ever explained in the movies at least from my perspective and I've watched them a few times and we actually plan on covering Star Wars soon on this show, so I will be able to fully test out how i feel about this thought but i don't remember it being mentioned in the movies and it was so frustrating and dumb to learn that there were a lot of political back matter things that probably would have influenced my perception of the story i think that there can be plenty of reasonable explanations i'm trying to say for why he made this point of we only have so many pin particles it's not the worst plot hole in the world, but it is a little, okay, why did you spend so much time telling us about this? Like, they have this whole sequence of Bruce saying that Back to the Future is bullshit. And that's not what the rules of time travel are. And, you know, if you're going to pay attention to the details, then really pay attention to the details, please. Don't tell us that this is a well-thought take on science fiction
0: if you're going to also add, oh, right, we don't know how it works. That's all. It doesn't even bother me because, you know, maybe it's in the suit reserves. And so much of this film is well-thought that I'll call it a plot hole and not a plot ruiner. Like, that's not like a plot crater. It's just, oh, there's probably some reserve built into the suit, and the amount of pimp particles it takes to be able to sustain in the quantum realm is a larger amount, and they only have so many larger amount. Yeah, or
1: something. It doesn't ruin the entire movie for me or anything. One of the things that does, of course, ruin the entire movie for me, just kidding, I'm being a little bit hyperbolic, but I just, you know, I don't care for the Hawkeye test trial scene, but it's not overwrought or anything. It's not played too hard. And then we get into the brainstorming session once they realize that this can be accomplished. I love this whole sequence. I imagine that this is what the actual writer's room for Marvel Studios tends to look like at times all of the different boards trying to collect all these plot threads everyone just sort of lying around looking in angst as they try to figure out how they can accomplish this mission i also
0: really love
1: that widow is the one who realizes that there would be so many stones in
0: new york at one time because that makes sense that's her kind of logic how can i get myself out of this situation and hit every item i need to hit Mm -hmm. she's a tactician so it would be the tactical mind that. That comes up with the best plan.
1: And what's really cool is if she is a stand-in for anyone in that scene, it is Kevin Feige himself. The writers were actually looking to avoid going to 2012 and revisiting the Avengers. They just thought that that was so on the nose. And there's been a ton of headlines talking about this already, but Tony was going to go to asgard with thor and rocket and he was going to have like this stealth armor and he was gonna have a battle with heimdall and that would have been really cool but you know the avengers was such an iconic tentpole for this franchise it really was a much better choice for them to go back there and i think it's great that Black Widow is the one that voices that. Black Widow is also the one in the session who voices the question of what is Vormir to get the answer of it is death from Nebula. So I don't know if that was intentional on the part of the writers, but if it was very clever, I like that.
0: For my sake, I appreciate all the planning and the strategy, but it does sort of seem like everybody's a dumb genius and everyone's a brilliant idiot at all times. And once we get to the time travel, things kind of pick up for me again. I like certain missions more than others. I like the return to the Avengers. I like punching Quill in the face. Hmm. I like so much of it, but I do feel so bad for Nebula, who's like, movie this almost was!
1: Well, hold on. First and foremost, let's break this down for everyone so that we really have a sense of what it is that we're going to be talking about here. So the endgame mission teams are as follows. In 2012 New York City, we have Iron Man, Captain America, Ant-Man, and Hulk. In 2013 Asgard, we have Thor and Rocket. And in 2014, we're just going to go with Space... To start, Big Space, we have Nebula and War Machine and Black Widow and Hawkeye going on two separate missions, one to the planet of Morag and one to the planet of Vormir to retrieve the Soulstone.
0: And you know how they fit so
1: many missions there? Because it's Big Space! true i mean what else do you call like i don't think that there is necessarily a name that they have given that you know quote unquote sector or anything other than addressing it as marvel cosmic what do, what do, what do we call big space big space so first we see 2012 new york and we get a revisit of that iconic shot of the babies On New York City.
0: We get so many cute throwbacks here. I mean, obviously, I've already talked about how much I love the moment where Hulk is like, oh, this is so embarrassing.
1: Ah! Smash! Ah! I loved that, too. It was really, really, really cute send up of you know just everything that the hulk is and bruce having to confront how much he's been through as the incredible hulk it was really cool to see the ancient one again i feel like we might have known she was going to be in this but we really 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 had no idea where so this was a huge surprise and it was really fun to see i feel like what were the sorcerers doing during the battle of new york is one of those questions that people probably ask a lot because you have these rogue figures out there who have the ability to help you have to question where were they so it's cool to see her engaging i don't understand why she just so happened to be wearing the time stone at this moment because like it was under lock and key when doc strange found it so like it wasn't just a common piece of jewelry that anyone was wearing
0: i only take it out when i
1: need to be appropriative or control time today's my birthday i want to look fancy
0: oh look an invasion for my birthday
1: and the sequence also gives us literally the only other time that we see mark ruffalo as mark ruffalo in the entire film and even then nico pointed out to me after the movie he's still cg when he's all you know astral spirity he's he's still not actual physical Mark Ruffalo which was a really funny point and it was a really cool callback to Doctor Strange the movie and when the Ancient One does that to Stephen Strange even without Stephen Strange being in this movie so that was really cool
0: and it's a nice way that I feel that the Russo's were able to honor the other directors of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so I feel like you know when you're playing in a sandbox like the MCU you need to be able to not just acknowledge but respect other artists' work. And I feel like they went out of their way to respect the work of Joss Whedon, James Gunn, and other directors so famous they need not be mentioned.
1: So rather than jump around a lot, I'm going to go a little bit more linearly and keep us in New York for a little while, even though we briefly pop in on the other missions in between. We revisit the penthouse scene and see Loki transform into Steve for apparently the first time before Thor the Dark World. It's so fucking funny because we've talked about how Loki's scenes from Avengers Age of Ultron were cut because they thought, It might confuse people and make them think that he had something to do with Ultron, but seeing him transform into Steve briefly really confused me later when there was the Steve versus Steve fight. I thought one of them was Loki, and I had no idea what was going on for a minute. I felt so fucking stupid. Honestly, it reminded me of the people who reach for the 3D objects in 3D movies. Like, I feel like if I'd been paying better attention, but there's so much going on in every single one of these scenes.
0: Speaking of 3D objects that we reached for during this film, we saw it in 3D and I definitely reached for America's ass on more than one occasion.
1: Oh, it's great. I mean, obviously, Tony is going to rib Steve because that's what he does. But immediately, Sub Scott is like, it's great. It's wonderful. It's the best ass that there's ever been. I love you so much, Cap. Have sex with my wife for me. I mean, kind of, and I feel like Hope would probably be into it too. Steve would have no idea what to do with any of that. Oh, I would just love to see him blush. But
0: I mean, it'd be so weird because like, even though I think, I mean, there's just so many levels of sub, but like, obviously Wasp is the dom in that situation.
1: Oh, no question. No question. So we get a Martha moment out of this Steve versus Steve fight where one of them says to the other that Bucky is alive and has to use the staff and I like it. I like the whole Cap versus Cap sequence. I thought it was fun.
0: I have decided to blot out my knowledge of what you mean by the Martha moment so I'm going to pretend you mean Martha Johansson and No Girl from New X-Men by Grant Morrison and suddenly I'm much happier.
1: Sure, you do whatever you got to do to get through the day. As far as triumphs in this sequence, I really think so much of this scene is really Chris Evans's and Captain America's. He gets the most amazing moments. We see him relive the elevator scene or pre-live the elevator scene with Rumlow, and there's that really cool. Hydro. And like it almost makes it worth all of the stupid comic controversy of having it have of a- the stupid. Fucking Nazi Cap retcon and everything that went with it. It almost makes all of that worth it to get to have that moment in Endgame and have it land the way that it did. Because if it hadn't been for that whole comic controversy, I don't think this would have gotten the same reaction from audiences as it did. And his smirk as he walks away because you know it's he's doing his job and he got it done. He got it away from them and applause all around for you, Cap. I don't mean to go all Scott here. But
0: I also am so
1: into it when Thor is like, Stark! Stark, are you okay? I don't know if this is gonna work! I don't know if this is gonna work! It's a little bit them forgetting what Thor was back in 2012. But, you know, I think we've even made the point of there's certainly levity in Thor even before Taika took the reins. So... It works for me. It really does. There's Scott teasing Tony about wearing Axe body spray, which Scott, why do you know what Axe body spray smells like then?
0: I don't accept that Tony Stark would have Axe body spray. It's a cheap joke that makes no sense for my money.
1: He would just have something, like, better. Like, even Old Spice body spray would have been less... Do they even still make Axe? I'm mostly joking because I think they do, but, like it Do actually they? doesn't
0: matter if they still make acts it matters that they made acts in 2011
1: well yeah but that's what i mean did they make <laughs> it then i don't even remember i have a feeling we get a really quick cool cameo from robert redford which was like damn near impossible for them because he had literally just retired from acting like the month before they called him so this scene of pierce in avengers endgame is going to be like possibly the last thing robert redford ever does in acting and that's pretty cool league of extraordinary gentlemen took out sean connery and now avengers endgame takes out robert redford one by one there's the really cool sequence of loki escaping using the space stone and showing for the first time consequences of time travel this one threw me for a little bit i wonder if it may get a tv show i think this also reopens the door for a different version of loki to potentially cross over to the mcu all right i i'm more i more readily did when i thought we were getting a multiverse, but. You know, we're getting a TV show either way, and obviously it's going to be about this Loki, if nothing else, so I'm intrigued. Way to set up some interesting seeds. After a little bit of cajoling, Bruce finally gets the Ancient One to give him the Time Stone. I find that dialogue all actually kind of confusing, when she's like,
0: Why would he give it to you? Oh, oh, he gave it to Thanos because it's meant to happen. Oh, then you can have it for me.
1: Like, everything about it was a little weird- And here's something I have to ask so like but Thanos destroyed the infinity stones I guess all of that energy just goes back out into the universe or something but like our universe was already missing the infinity stones in 2023 so like I don't know it's all I I actually made a meme of Bruce picking the time stone and putting it back and captioned it with me plucking bullshit out of thin air to make excuses for my bad choices because that actually is kind of what the scene is it's this works it totally really does, and the Ancient One is just sort of like, I don't ironically have time for this, so just go ahead, it's fine. Poor
0: Tilda, our impressions of her this, this podcast are rough.
1: So we have two Infinity Stones achieved so far in this mission, and let's talk a little bit about the other ones briefly. There's Asgard, that whole sequence is... Certainly, certainly very interesting. I really don't love the sequence between Rocket and Thor here, which is unfortunate because I loved so much of their interactions in the first movie. You know, it was one thing to be a little tough love back in the cabin, but like, he actually slaps a PTSD victim in the face during a mission that really
0: cannot afford to be fucked up, so... Well, obviously Thor's behavior is not helping anything, neither is slapping him in the face.
1: Yeah, and you know, we, we've talked at length about how Rocket is not necessarily extremely stable himself. Ultimately, this mission is about them splitting up and Rocket going and taking the reality ooze from a deleted scene of Natalie Portman and Thor getting to have a really cool heart-to-heart with his mom. It's a little schmoopy, to be honest. But, you know, I care for the character. He's lost so much, and it's amazing to see more of Rene Russo as Frigga. I think there's more of her in this movie than there is in either of the other two. That's a lot to unpack, but she's a really cool, great character. I love that she's, like, all saucy and, like, I'm a witch, I get it, whatever, let's just talk for a little while, you don't seem okay. It's really cool.
0: And so much of it kind of fits the general narrative of the film. The idea of family tying us back to our humanity in the face of great inhumanity. I like all the Thor Frigga stuff. I don't really care for Natalie Portman getting paid to not be in this movie. And I don't care for rocket sucking. But it is funny that absolutely everything about several scenes in this are completely CGI'd.
1: Yeah, this was a lot of green screen work for them. Which, you know, that stuff's probably air conditioned. So that's nice. Good for them. The sequence Of him calling Mjolnir, that was really cool, and I feel like that ties in interestingly to Thor the Dark World. I could be mistaken, but I even vaguely remember when he calls the hammer to him from a distance, it like takes a while and obviously they didn't plan this in advance but that's a really nice loop around to put in there and i love seeing the weapon again there's no reason since the plan is all ready to put everything back it was smart for him to take it and adds a really cool element to the final battle the other mission is 2014 big space as we said big space we start on morag and we have the characters split up I think it's a little bit weird that Rhodey's reaction is being like, why didn't you tell us that you were looking for the stones in 2014? Because like, yeah, why didn't you? Why did the writers think to put in dialogue of that? But why would the character not think to have done that? That actually doesn't make sense. She is a lot smarter than that. It's like, you know? I do.
0: I think part of what this movie did really well was pull together all the different threads of the bigger picture of the marvel universe and finding a way to spotlight the cosmics in two unique ways i think because there are two sides of the marvel cosmic universe there's the very guardians of the galaxy side and then there's kind of like the freaky alien side because i think guardians is pretty pretty normalized at this point so i actually uh, i just i appreciate the more uh I don't know. I just really hate widowed. It ruins all of the space stuff for
1: me. Well, and that's something that bothers me too. We might as well just fast forward through 2014 because the whole thing is a shit show anyway. Again, I have to call into question, how did they not put more thought into what was going to need to be done to get this stone? I get that the information probably isn't out there like they can't Google it, but it is certainly implied that Nebula kind of has an inkling that one of them is going to have to die and yet neither of them seem to be aware that one of them is going to have to die like it's really confusing and weird and originally vormir was going to have thanos try and stop them and show up with like one of his little like lizard hordes and it was going to be a struggle for who can sacrifice themselves against these aliens instead of each other i don't know how i feel about if it had been that instead they also were at a toss-up as to which one of the avengers it should be whether it should be hawkeye or black widow and some producer said to them don't you dare take this from black widow and the writers went with her and i I take this from Black Widow. It's not that I don't enjoy the story. My thing is mostly there were so few female Avengers already on the team. They are the biggest victims on this whole mission, really.
0: Really, truly. Gamora, who's not even really an Avenger, but she's the only original Guardian who's a woman. We have Black Widow, the only original woman Avenger. There's just too many women who we lose. It's quite frustrating
1: <laughs> when you don't have enough women you can't kill them off period and at least that sequence is like pretty mercifully short it's only like 90 seconds long i want to believe a little bit that the dramatic run and jump off a tower shit is a little bit an homage to buffy and the season five finale as a send up to joss it's probably not but i'm gonna pretend that it is anyway so he has the soul stone and that's all good and dandy over on morag we see Rody punch out peter quill which i feel like has to be a sequence that they wrote in just after everyone was so pissed in infinity war i'm i'm probably kidding but i feel the same way about the ball tap later too i love seeing the alternate side though of him dancing around and no one else being able to hear i've seen a lot of memes set to that concept peter quill dancing because like i've thought about that i've been like what would somebody who's just watching him think the nebula morag thanos Stuff is where some of the time travel kind of falls apart for me a little bit, like, because when her neural net crosses with 2014 Nebula, that's something that Steve is now going to have to correct on his final mission when he goes back in time. He can't just put the Power Stone back, because it's getting that wire crossed from Nebula that causes that to happen so is there now a specifically like broken divergent timeline because that had to have happened he can't fix that somewhere you know
0: like maybe it's like an airplane and he just turns on his cell phone and suddenly all of the signal is disrupted in a way that's so dangerous that i'm never allowed to have my phone on when i'm on a plane
1: i don't know i don't know it's a little confusing but i love this convenient excuse to give us back a gamora who hopefully got to stick around after tony's snap she probably did Because, you know, Zoe Saldana, she is the woman who is in the two highest grossing films of all time, Avatar and Endgame. So nobody's going to want to give her up. She's a hot commodity. I like all the interactions between Rhodey and Nebula and the way that they relate to each other as both having bionic parts it's a really great moment to give to Don Cheadle and to Rhodey again I love the ways that he stepped up even when Tony is back and he's back to being Iron Man and he's being active Rhodey didn't suddenly take a less active role in this mission and that's really cool
0: I think that by not to jump too far ahead but by knowing that Tony has to die you needed to find a way to make sure that we all accepted Rhodey as the new Iron Man and I think they did a tremendous job
1: I do, too. I do, too. And while Rhodey does a pretty good job on his mission and makes it back successfully, Tony is in a bit of a kerfuffle on his end. He kind of dropped the stone he was responsible for. Not literally, but figuratively. Literally? Kind of literally. Yeah, he did. Holy shit. So they are at a loss as to what to do. It's funny that I made comments in the previous episode about Robert Downey Jr. and Paul Rudd. And their characters being so similar and yet such opposites. Because I even have a note made right here of what great comedic chemistry they have in this scene of them bickering with each other when they have no idea what to do. And it only takes about like 40 seconds for Tony to formulate a new plan. He says it's a vague idea of when he needs to go. I'm pretty sure because when they go back to his Tony's birthday is the implication. So that's cute. He kind of knows what date they would need to go to.
0: Yeah, you know, he might not know enough about his dad, but he absolutely knows enough about his dad's economy accomplishments because they were constantly thrown in his face that he has a vague idea of when he should go, if nothing else. Barring the fact that his wife is pregnant and we're given all of this information through Howard's perspective Tony knows that stuff because it's in his past present
1: you know but like he doesn't even have to explain any of that all he says to Steve is do you trust me and Steve says yes and that's it's a really cool moment they used it in the trailers a lot obviously and that's almost what you engineer a moment like that for but it's still so important to these two characters and it's really great to see them back interacting it hasn't even been a full hour since Tony rejoined the team in terms of the runtime of the film and they are already so back in sync it's gonna be hard to replicate these two as the leading duo of the marvel cinematic universe And they go back to 1970 New Jersey. New Jersey, holla! I shouldn't say things like that. But we get our Stamio, our final Stamio. And as we now know, a Stamio where he is intended to be portraying himself, Stan Lee, who was a peace-loving beatnik in the 70s.
0: And that really ties into who Stan was. While it's absolutely true, Stan Lee did serve in the armed forces. Stan was, at his heart, a pacifist. So that's nice.
1: I like things about this sequence, certainly. I love the Hank Pym cameo. The young Hank Pym thing is really funny, really cute, great performance there. Even Nicole Brown's character, I probably could have done without. As much as I love her as a person, it was a complication I didn't really need. I feel like there are other ways that they could have engineered steve needing to duck into an office which is really the only thing they needed it for so he could have that long lingering moment of staring at peggy through the glass which was literally a full minute guys
0: and i think it's only there to justify the ending and doesn't work for me although evidently if you turn it way 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 up you can hear her talk about brian braddock but then that bothers me because then it's the 70s and
1: is it his dad <gasps> I don't know. I don't know. It tells us that they're thinking about Brian Braddock. Don't forget they mentioned Doctor Strange in The Winter Soldier, which is also impossible. So, like, they're just, they're not, they're not the best at this sometimes. God bless them. I do love it. The whole sequence with Tony and his dad is fine. It's really cool to see that actor playing Howard Stark again, probably for the last time, especially since we're not really going to see Tony much again. There's a little throwback to Artem Zola in their conversation. I feel like Tony played it a little bit too poorly. He seemed like he was stoned, which is like, I think part of the joke, but I feel like Howard should probably turn him in for that or something, but it's also Howard Stark. He doesn't give a fuck. This is the first time that we see a crossover between the MCU films and the MCU TV. When we see the character of Jarvis portrayed by the same actor as agent Carter, as what, what is his his valet, his valet, I guess his men Friday. Sure, he's that. And then they're pretty successful from there. They got their particles and they head on back. As for the Morag stuff, Thanos pretty easily takes down Nebula, which is a little annoying and points out some of the flaws of the characters. If she has this whole neural net thing, that is a pretty big weakness that I hope they find a way to like lock down if they want to keep this character around for a while. I don't know. And we see our nebula replaced by a sleeper agent and return, not a sleeper agent, a completely awake agent, excuse me. A spy. A spy. She's replaced by a spy.
0: By a completely awake, upstairs, daytime agent train.
1: Yes, and return to 2023. What is the mission debrief here? So I would say probably the most successful of the three-pronged mission is Asgard 2013.
0: While there is a bit of a hitch, it's not quite the same level of hitch as the rest have.
1: Yeah, they get their stone with relative ease. Thor achieves personal closure too, and you know, it kind of makes sense. Thor is pretty comically, quote unquote, out of practice and unstable on this mission, whereas Rocket is currently an active Avenger. The mission with the most obstacles is 2012 New York City, while the most successful member of that mission is the Hulk, when... Banner uses his intellect to reason for the time stone from the ancient one. The least necessary member of the team is unfortunately probably Ant-Man. While he is the binding glue and the force that kicks off this mission, he hesitates too long to act and that's what leads to the giant snafu that loses the space stone. It's ultimately Iron Man and Captain America improvising and completely coming up with a different plan on Blind Faith that was the key to getting the Space Stone in the end. And this team is probably the most muddled, too. Captain America seems to still be checking in with Widow, but he it seems like he's at least semi-inactive. Iron Man seems like he is retired, even though we still see that he is building suits. He's building the purple dress suit for Pepper. Hulk is still acting as a public figure, and if the deleted scene technically is canon, he's saving people, but it's probably in more of like a as-needed basis. And Ant-Man, he's probably the most currently, or the most recently active of any of the heroes on this mission. He was only gone from his perspective for about five hours
0: when you first said that he's probably the most active i was gonna be like no babe he was oh from his perspective yeah to him he's barely been gone
1: yeah right what's really unfortunate is that the least successful mission i would say is 2014 big space
0: big space sucked
1: while technically every single team retrieved their stone, it suffered the most casualties, Black Widow sacrificing herself to retrieve the soul stone, and when Rhodey returns home with the power stone, Nebula is replaced behind their backs with 2014 Nebula as a spy. So wait, four people
0: go into big space, two men, two women, and somehow neither woman
1: comes home? Yeah, that's also one of the things that I wanted to point to. It's really frustrating, and frankly, they're also the most competent team. They have have the most active members. Black Widow, who is currently acting in the Nick Fury role of the active Avengers. Nebula and Rhodey, who are going on active missions. And Ronan, who is working as a rogue assassin on Earth. So... They should be the most competent team, yet they kind of are the most incompetent. I don't love the way that that comes across, especially because the victims are all women and the only women that are on the team. And here's my thing as a writer. It's not that you can't have women be victims of tragedies because you should have any character be allowed to be a victim of a tragedy. But you need to be thinking about these things when you're writing a story. If you're going to kill one of the women that you have and kidnap and replace another one and have none of the men realize that she's been replaced by a doppelganger you need to think do i have any other women on this entire team of 10 no i don't huh i know i can use captain marvel for five minutes and you know, I do want to only defend the fact that since now I know she filmed Endgame before filming Captain Marvel, I appreciate the limited amount of time that she is in this movie. I don't think that anything she does in this movie really probably affected or damaged her perspective on doing her solo introduction film either because it's a lot of big moments. She comes in and helps the Avengers real quick and then takes off. She is part of a rundown meeting in a staff room and then she takes off and then she just comes in and she she blows up a spaceship like she doesn't really have to do a ton of characterization work. And while as a fan of Captain Marvel, it's disappointing to me understanding how non-linear she was produced. And frankly, this whole film franchise not being about her and really being more about the characters that it did focus on. I, 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 I'm not upset about the amount of screen time she didn't get. You know who's a woman who already has gotten some screen time and was woefully marginalized in this film, though? Okoye. I was so psyched. To get more Okoye in this movie, especially after rewatching Black Panther and seeing all of her stuff with her fiancé and all of her being torn between duty and Wakanda. I thought they were going to do some really cool stuff with her character in this movie having to do with that and her what's what what did happen in Wakanda? Maybe they were afraid to touch it too closely, not wanting to step on the toes of whatever Ryan Coogler and that team would want to do after something this big. And if that's the case, again, you know, I sort of respect it, but there's still not nearly enough of her in this movie, for sure.
0: And there was that whole kerfluffle about her getting to be on the poster. Right. And they had to publicly apologize. And now what frustrates me is it seems as if they let that all happen as kind of a red herring, since we keep stressing how little anyone knew about
1: this movie going in. I don't know. It just all kind of rubs me the wrong way. Like, now I get why she wasn't on the movie poster. I don't think Captain Marvel should have been either, but at least her movie came out two months before Endgame. So, like, I get it. It's synergy. I get it. But, you know, yeah, like you said, now it seems like that was just really a mislead to be a misdirect. So, you know, whatever. So we get back to the boys club and we have the stones and they set about deciding who should wear the Infinity Gauntlet. What?
0: Are you telling me that none of the women survive and now we can say we have the stones to do
1: this? I'm not saying that out loud, so I'm glad you did.
0: <sighs>
1: yeah, we get like a small little funeral for Nat that a lot of people have complained about. I'm not horrified or horribly over upset that she didn't get a full funeral service the way that Tony did. We just we we grieved those deaths linearly and I, I think it would be weirder if we tagged on like a bunch of different people's graves. Like it's Weird at the end of Serenity when one of the graves, oh, no, it's fine. People die, and I'm not going to say who any of the main cast are, but there's a minor character who only exists in the film who dies and died helping them, sure, but, like, his gravestone is also focused on with the major characters that die in the film, and it's like... I'm not being a bad guy, but that movie's like 15 years old. I know. Joss Whedon fans are just so protective, and especially Firefly fans, so I don't want to piss anyone off. But that's what I'm trying to say. Like, you have to do these in a palatable way. And I think seeing the five of the six original Avengers who were the survivors of their missions being the ones to take a moment to grieve... Natasha. I don't think she's going to be forgotten. We're pretty sure her movie is the next one that's coming out in 2020. So, like, I don't think the legacy of Black Widow is going anywhere. And I think the level to which they grieved her, for the characters to whom it was so personal, I do think it was appropriate. This is also where we got that shot of Cap crying that we see in a lot of the trailers, where it's like that one tear going down his face but so then they all stand around and try and decide who who wears the gauntlet who who gets to who gets to put on the sheath boys who's going to be the big man of course i mean if if you're going to talk about stones i'm going to talk about them deciding who gets to put on this big phallic object and be the hero thor is pretty desperate to prove himself after almost fucking up his huge part of the mission no let me wear the magnum i can do it I can do it! They ultimately decide to go with Hulk. There's his, it's like I was made for this line and, uh, is that a thing we're doing? I. It's fine, you know? We've talked about how up and down they've been with the references to gamma radiation and everything, but after... All of that, and the fact that they did specifically bring him in to the Avengers in 2012 because of his experience with gamma radiation, to throw back to that bit of canon, I appreciate. I really do. I think it's really awesome that cap is the one to tell the others to hold off and let hulk you know be the one to make the call on whether to call it off it's a really cool throwback to his movie captain america the first avenger and how erskine tried to call off the experiment and he insisted no i can do this it's it was a really cool callback to that moment and cap being like no if, if he says keep going keep going it's also a real pretty gauntlet i just want to draw attention to that real quick uh, as far as mcguffins for the final third of this film are going to be they did a really cool job designing it i love that it's the right hand to the infinity gauntlets left i love that it's iron man red and i'm looking forward to incorporating it into my tony cosplay that's for damn sure yeah it is the prop is enormous it's hysterical it is like fucking
0: thanos size even my arm looks small in it, and that's bizarre but i actually think it's such a beautiful idea that tony could build this i have some about the fact that it's left left being sinister right being dexterous so it's very playing into like biblical ideas and like bar sinister but it's fine it's fine it's fine once he has the gauntlet on and he's able to survive it hulk's doing the thing and i guess that means there's nothing left to do but talk about the